2: This is not just him being upset that he has to do something. This is him being actually anxious because he's a first kid and he's kind of a people pleaser. But I've also had to be careful that since he's a people pleaser and anxious about things, to not tie my emotions into it Mm. and tell him all the time, you don't have to make mommy happy. This is not something you have to do to make me happy.
3: Welcome to How To. I'm science writer David Epstein. The last year's been tough on all of us, but for young kids, they've been facing isolation that they've never known before. According to the CDC, the proportion of mental health-related ER visits last year from children just 5 to 11 years old, it was up about 24% compared to the previous year. It's hard to be an anxious kid in an anxious time, but rates of anxiety and depression among children and adolescents, they were already alarming before the pandemic, as our listener this week knows all too well.
2: My name is Michaela. I'm a homeschooling mom of three kids. Asher is my eight-year-old and William is my six-year-old, who both have different anxieties.
3: Michaela's particularly worried about Asher. She knew he wasn't exactly a laid-back little guy, but she was taken by surprise by what she heard at a parent-teacher conference before the pandemic.
2: He was a happy kid and his teacher was, I really liked her last year, but she said to me at conferences, Asher cries a lot. Do hmm. you notice that at home? And at first I was kind of like, yeah, 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 I mean, we see some of these behaviors.
3: It wasn't until the pandemic forced Michaela to homeschool her kids that she really began to understand the depth of their discomfort.
2: So I have a background in teaching. So I am now full-time homeschooling and have had a real chance to zero in on the fact that like my eight-year-old cried at school every day last year. And I didn't recognize that that was not just him feeling overwhelmed, but he was actually really anxious about doing the things he needed to do.
3: So can you tell us for Asher and William, can you sort of tell us about how their anxiety manifests?
2: Yeah. So it's interesting. My eight-year-old Asher has um, much more generalized anxiety. His anxieties are like not doing well if i rush him to get out the door he just like shuts down whereas my six-year-old william is in a different stage of development and he has very specific anxieties he unfortunately had a tick on him a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. and now every night he can't sleep because he's concerned he has a tick and so it's more specific things like um if he hears anyone is sick now thanks pandemic he thinks, mm-hmm. "Oh, am I gonna get sick? Am I gonna die? Am I?" And I'm like, "No, buddy. You're you're totally healthy. It's fine."
3: Gotcha. And and do you and your husband uh, struggle with anxiety? Is this something new to you? Is it something that's familiar to your family?
2: Oh, it's very familiar. Okay. My husband is treated for generalized anxiety and depression, and I have what I would call undiagnosed anxiety. So I'm very aware of it mm-hmm. in the world, especially in our family.
3: It's hard enough for adults, who can more easily articulate how they're feeling, to grapple with their anxieties. And even though Michaela has personal experience with anxiety, she doesn't feel like she's equipped to help her sons navigate these big emotions.
1: When your children get upset, it's very common, especially when they're anxious and uncomfortable for parents to want to just kind of either make them feel better immediately or and, and then they end up getting anxious themselves um, or getting frustrated. And so there's a lot of emotion that happens in these interactions. And so if you're able to model calm behavior and give suggestions with the emotion out of it, sometimes that's helpful.
3: That was pediatric anxiety expert Dr. Crystal Lewis. On today's episode, she'll share coping mechanisms for anxiety that apply to all of us, no matter how old we are. Don't go anywhere.
4: This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design.
0: Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com.
3: When stress levels reach the boiling point in our listener Michaela's household, there are two telltale signs she looks for in her kids.
2: Like with my six year old, when he's anxious, his stomach hurts. And we can really hone in on like, okay, your stomach hurts, what are you worried about? And he can really name it. But with Asher, he'll be angry, really angry at me because he's anxious that he won't finish his work, Mm -hmm. or he's not gonna be good enough. Well, how do you, you can't quantify Mm -hmm. that. And Mm -hmm. so it's harder to label that for him or for him to label it himself.
3: That's why we reached out to Dr. Crystal Lewis. She's an expert at talking to children about their feelings. She's a clinical psychologist at the National Institute of Mental Health, where she works with kids with anxiety disorders. The first thing parents can do is figure out how frequently your kids are feeling anxious because feeling some fear and anxiety, that's normal.
1: It's really important to, as a parent, when we're working with parents, but to learn to help kids move through these fears and anxiety, and then also helping parents recognize when it's becoming problematic, when it interferes with the family, when it's distressing the child and it's constantly there. We can expect to see some level of anxiety in kids when they start school for the first time, um, doing new activities. And when we're considering broadly what's happening now in the world with the pandemic, this is something that's new for everyone. There's going to be high levels Mm -hmm. of anxiety, but now we're looking at, well, how much of this is normative, right? As we're trying to transition it back into the world reopening and how much of this is really problematic for some people.
3: Since fear, stress, and even worry are normal, parents can start noticing the frequency of those negative feelings and keep an eye on if the emotions start to interfere with your kid's life. However, it's not always easy to tell how your kid's feeling if they can't identify and then vocalize those emotions. So instead of waiting for a stressful moment, start talking about emotions now.
1: I think it is important to help kids to develop the language to say how they're feeling. I think what Michaela, you're describing with Asher, when he's that angry (laughs) he's not going to be able to make that connection immediately and so it's really just helping to identify that there's this strong emotion which likely is tied to some unwanted behaviors but when you get a very strong emotion the key there is just to manage that in the moment to, to either kind of sit through it or if it's long lasting okay well what strategies can we use to bring the emotion down and then we're able to access other parts of our brains to be able to talk through okay what was going on here. And so for the kids, really, who have difficulties verbalizing how they're feeling or they're retreating, engaging in either if they're younger in terms of uh, drawing or using social stories, using books and having them point out, you know, yeah, that's how I'm feeling and then developing it from there.
3: So our first tip is to model talking about emotions in a way that's understandable. You can prompt kids through the use of open-ended questions or even by having them draw or even just point to pictures in a book if you have to. This actually reminded me of a book that I've read with my toddler called How Are You Peeling? It has pictures of fruits and vegetables that are showing different emotions that he can identify with.
1: Michaela, do you want to talk a little bit more about what what you see or what's happening with Asher that is giving you an indication that he is anxious?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Certain things like if he doesn't have a laid out plan for the day, like what we're going to do what's expected of him. Like if I spring something on him at the two o'clock and he's like, I really want to go play outside or I want to do, play video games or whatever, he'll cry, he'll throw a tantrum. Not just like, I'm mad tantrum. He's not saying, Mm -hmm. I'm upset because you're making me do work. He's like, I can't finish this in time. I don't have enough bandwidth to do it. Or he'll say, this is boring. I don't like doing this. And what he's really saying is, I'm worried that I can't finish this in time and get to do my preferred activities. Right. And so there's this fear
1: that they're unable to complete the activity. They get worried that if they're disrupted in terms of whatever it is they're doing, then they can um, really get upset and you're expressing it. Seem- it can come out as anger sometimes, and especially with younger kids. You said Asher's about eight. So younger kids, you can see more tantrums, more yelling, and it seems like they're angry. But then when you're kind of combing through what's going on and getting his worries out of there, you realize, OK, well, this is worry. This is anxiety. Yeah, definitely. What we know with the younger kids, right? Their frontal lobes are, are less developed, and so their emotional brain reacts very quickly. So, Michaela, if you want to talk a little bit about just any example of when Ash is getting really upset, are there things that you notice works
2: for you to help talk him down versus makes it worse? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of my friends says don't board the crazy train, and yeah. I can when he gets upset, if I get upset too because he mm-hmm. he like pushes and pushes and pushes like he'll get upset about something and then can't let it go. I'm like, "Hey, let's take a mm-hmm. break. Let's come back to it later." Or, you know, mm-hmm. like he has this little um it's a stuffed animal that you put in the microwave and you can warm it up. And Mm -hmm. that sometimes helps for that physical grounding. Exactly. And, And I love that. So don't
1: board the crazy train. And then like you mentioned, just distracting a little bit, go jump on the trampoline, take a break or do something that really gets the attention away from whatever that anxiety trigger is. That can be helpful.
3: Here's another tip. Don't board the crazy train with your kid. When emotions take over, kids cannot hear you. But if you stay calm... You might be able to help them interrupt their spiraling thought pattern, then guide them away from whatever's triggering the anxiety. It could be as simple as moving to another space. Let's say, um, you know, Asher does get better at. Um, Starting to identify what what he's feeling. Are are there tools at a certain point when they're able to identify what's upsetting them that they can use to sort of, uh, you know, short circuit that or or disrupt the the sort of snowball of anxiety that that might get going
1: that age point of when kids become more aware varies. It depends, you know, it depends on each child, Mm -hmm. but as they have that awareness that they're feeling uncomfortable, right? Something feels off. They're feeling anxious. The heart's beating. Then it's teaching, like teaching certain strategies to relax the body and mind. We often um, teach different breathing exercises, muscle relaxation, um, picturing our favorite place, so doing some sort of visualization or guided imagery. So we have the kids think about a favorite place. It could be laying in their bed. It could be Disney World. And then teach them how to think of that place and use their senses to bring themselves to that place. So there are all these different exercises that we do to help kids just relax in the moment.
3: As a cognitive behavioral therapist, Crystal also tries to help kids bring awareness to how their thoughts, physical feelings, and behaviors interact with each other.
1: So what we're thinking influences how we feel and what we do. So we work through and help kids to identify how they're feeling first by identifying the emotion, Mm -hmm. but then to pay attention to what's going on physically in their body and then what their worries are. What are the worries that they're having and the behavior? And so when we're identifying these three areas, then we help kids to reframe, okay, so can we tell ourselves a happy thought right now, a helpful thought?
3: Emotions are tied to thoughts, and you can proactively change your thoughts. Once your child's identified what they're feeling and calmed themselves down, the next tip is to help them reframe the situation. But that kind of thought process, it's basically the core of cognitive behavioral therapy. It takes practice, and especially for kids, it takes help and prompting from parents who might be feeling overwhelmed themselves. Michaela, if you could maybe describe a situation that you know you're going to have to deal with again and mm-hmm. and what you'd be inclined to do. And maybe, Crystal, you can sort of help her walk through what would be a way to serve as the best model for Asher.
2: Yeah, so um, one of the things we often see, and he had a huge tantrum about the other day, is he's working through a workbook right now that had he had to read about potential and kinetic energy, which is something that's kind of tricky mm-hmm. and new for mm-hmm. him. He had the fight or flight going on and he was Mm -hmm. in fight mode and I could not get through him no matter how many examples I gave to him. We read it together. I couldn't get through to him. He just had the, I can't brain Mm -hmm. on. And I couldn't, I mean, how, you know, I just need ideas about how to get through
1: to that. So it sounds like you're describing a situation where he's at the top of just being heightened. So he didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to do it. And so he was expressing a high level of emotion. So for you, you're trying to talk him through it. It
2: wasn't helpful. Well, I mean, I tried to be really nice, but then you you board the crazy train as he continues to. My dad lives with us, so <laughs> he was trying to help. Um, William was actually giving ideas because he got it. And then I said, let's take a break. And he couldn't even do that. And then all of a sudden he was upset about he didn't know what he was going to have for lunch. And what I was fixing wasn't what he wanted. So it started to bleed into everything around us. And then he started to cry. And then it transitioned into full meltdown up in his room. Like finally what calmed him out is we got his warmy warmed up. We got him wrapped in a blanket because sometimes that helps to feel like tight and you're mm-hmm. safe. How could I get through to him before we got to, okay, let's take a break and deal with that?
1: Yeah. And I and I think maybe we're gonna take five deep breaths. This is before it escalates to the point of him getting so upset. But okay, and I, I know you can do this, buddy. And so just kind of using that language with him, because it sounds like he was expressing the negative thoughts of I can't do this, this is too hard. Um, and he was just kind of stuck in that cycle. And so it's saying, Okay, I know that you can do this. This seems hard. We're just we're gonna take a break right now and let him sit there, let not not push it on him.
2: Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, that's a great and that's modeling the self talk that I want him mm-hmm. to do. And I know he's capable, but also not emphasizing the product, but emphasizing the effort. I know you can put effort right. into this,
1: even exactly. if it's not
2: perfect, because perfect is not our goal.
1: That's great language right there. And then also just noting, yeah, this this is frustrating. So saying, you know, I'm feeling sort of frustrated right now too. So you can put that out there and say, let's ju- let's take a one minute break, or you can walk away and say, I'm feeling kind of frustrated right now too. I'm going to try to calm down. I'll come back in five minutes. And if you're able to literally walk away and just kind of leave him and then come back to it, so at least you have the, these periods where he's able to just regulate a little bit versus just keep
2: pushing, keep pushing. Then it's building, it's building. That sounds like it would be really helpful. This has been very eye-opening to me that it's not just his anxiety I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. I'm frustrated and I'm angry. And I then say things like, just don't talk to me right now. But all he hears is mom doesn't want to talk to me, but maybe walk away like modeling saying, I need to take a break because I'm upset not with you, but I'm feeling upset that I'm not able to communicate this clearly. Can you give me five minutes to take a break?
1: Exactly. Practice self-compassion. Know that you're, you're not going to get it right each time. There are going to be times that you're just really frustrated or you're really anxious, but at least focusing on yourself first. How am I handling the situation? What's my first reaction? How am I feeling? It's completely natural to feel anxious when your child's feeling anxious or upset. You want to help. That's your role.
3: That, that was really interesting to hear, too, because I think as a, you know, thinking as a parent, I'm like, gosh, my first instinct is, is never to, I mean, and again, I'm talking about a toddler, but just to tell the child, like, look, I'm frustrated, right? It's sort of like there's the implicit message that you as the parent have, are, are supposed to seem totally in control until like all of a sudden mm-hmm. it boils over and you're obviously not.
1: I think that's extremely important just in parenting in general because it's teaching that everyone has these emotions and then it's how you manage them. So it's not just the expression of it. Parents use language, express it, but then show what you're doing to cope with it. And then that's really where the children can see, Oh, okay, this happened. Mommy was upset and now she's okay. It's just kind of like this cycle that it's important to model. It helps the family in general.
3: Here's our next tip. Rather than just hiding your anxiety, model coping skills the same way you'd model anything else as a parent. Identify what you're feeling, calm yourself down, and change your behavior right in front of your child. In that way, the anxiety parents feel themselves can actually be useful in helping children learn to deal with what's stressing them out. When we come back, Crystal will share some exercises that can help prevent situations from boiling over in the first place.
0: In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com podcast, or find it wherever you listen. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: We're back with Michaela and our expert, Dr. Crystal Lewis, who specializes in pediatric anxiety. Often situations that cause anxiety are due to fear of the unknown, but that can be averted through clear communication and structure.
2: Let's take the example of getting out the door. How would you Mm -hmm. help him to know it's going to be fine, but if you sit and play with your brother for 30 minutes, then you're going to have to rush. You've had half an hour to get ready. Part of me wants to be like, it's your own fault, but that doesn't help. (laughs) You know, as an adult, that wouldn't help me. If someone said, mm-hmm. Well, it's your problem. You sol- created this. Yes, but I created it. How am I going to solve it now?
1: Yeah, that that's a great question. It's a little tricky. I think if you find yourself in a situation where either, you know, he's getting distracted or he'd rather of course most kids would rather play with their toys and then get dressed or brush their teeth, you may then have to set up more of just what we say, like our um a reinforcement system so that when he's able to brush his teeth, get dressed and have his backpack ready, you know, by a certain time, then there can be some sort of earning of a reward. Um and when you set up these these ways to kind of motivate kids, you're helping with the anxiety, right? But then also it's a bit of a motivator to get him to do the things that he needs to do to get out of the house.
2: Thank you, that's very concrete of how I can apply this.
3: That's our next tip, set up routines and reward systems. Anxiety can stem from a lack of control. So by setting up systems and clearly communicating what's expected of your kids, you're giving them time to prepare themselves and options to feel in control of the situation. But that also means taking steps to prepare yourself. It's not always easy being patient and reminding a kid over and over, especially when they're getting frustrated as time goes on.
1: You know, when we're working with parents, we we wanna identify how are you responding in these situations? So we can teach the kids coping strategies and some skills, but for the parents as well, what are you doing that's one, modeling the behavior you wanna see, and two, how do you help talk your children through these scenarios without working them up. Um, And sometimes, you know, it starts with just validating your child's
2: emotion. That's really helpful. And and it reminds me that a lot of his anxiety is my anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's how Mm -hmm. I react to his situation. And when he's needling, it's like in a relationship, you can pick a fight. He's trying to pick a fight to get out of doing whatever he's doing or to make himself feel better that he's upset or whatever. And As long as I say, hey, you're really upset, I get that, and I don't board that crazy train. I I handle it well, which is not all the time, but (laughs) (laughs) it's reality, but that's awesome to hear. Thank you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because it's very common in anxious households, right, that parents can be very reassuring or they can just be over-accommodating. There's a lot of accommodation that happens because you don't like to see your child distressed and they never really learn that, okay, I can get through these, these situations.
3: Here's our next tip. It's easy to lean into your parenting instinct and just allow your child to avoid something that stresses them out or makes them scared. But by allowing them not to face their fears, you're teaching them that they're right to be scared of that thing. So try to get to the bottom of what's actually making them scared, worried, or causing that stress.
1: And I think it's twofold. Um, with anxiety, there's this one, the fear of what I was talking about, the fear of unknown, not knowing what's coming up, um, fear of a threat or bad things happening. And then there's this belief that we don't have the capacity to handle things. So with kids, oftentimes there's this level of, this low level, I'll say, of confidence that they're going to be able to do something well or finish something. Um, And so when we're working with kids, we really want to help build that general capacity or or what we call efficacy, that belief in, in their abilities, whether it be specific to schoolwork or soccer or different activities.
3: A good way to build up their belief in their own abilities is to actually engage with activities that do cause some stress and anxiety. That doesn't mean just throwing them in the deep end. Instead, Work up to it over time. Crystal recommends a kind of exposure therapy called a fear ladder.
1: Which essentially outlines a bunch of different ways that you're going to practice whatever this fear is. And each rung of the ladder is just an, a different, is an, another step, right? You're going higher and higher. So you would want to start off with something that might be a little difficult, but you know is not going to cause your child significant mm-hmm. fear. Um, and then you would kind of work your way up from there.
3: With this technique, it's important that you're taking baby steps, communicating to your child along the way, and making sure the exposure is happening in a safe space. Crystal, could you give us one example of kind of a successful tough case that you had a breakthrough on and what led to that?
1: In the past, I've had a very significant um, vomit phobia and the child also had some generalized anxiety. But she was eight years old at the time I was working with her. It started when she was very young at six. She started on medication and there's just a lot of avoidance over those two years till she turned eight. She had lost weight from not eating. She used to not eat um, lunch at Mm. school. She would have refused to go to school during flu season, wouldn't play at recess. So What we did is kind of created that fear ladder of, okay, we're going to start with playing games, with spelling out different words for vomit. And we moved all the way up to eating Dunkin' Donuts and Sprite and then spinning around in the office chair and doing all these different (laughs) behaviors to the point of kind of fake vomit and being in the bathroom pretending we're vomiting. But there was just a lot of exposures. And she did so well over time. And um, she was very excited. The first time someone vomited at school, she was like, my friend vomited at school and I didn't get out of my seat. She was right next to her. She's like, I didn't help her. I didn't get out of my seat. You know, and like just the sense of pride and efficacy that, yeah, vomit's pretty disgusting, but she wasn't responding with that same fear response. I think really just highlights how exposure in general is helpful.
3: That's an, that's an awesome story. Um, touching and funny and a happy ending. The last tip we have for parents trying to help their anxious children is that you don't have to wait to get professional help until it's a crisis point. You can actually reach out to someone like Crystal and they'll help you figure out if your child needs professional intervention.
1: It can be tricky to determine at what point, right, you should seek outside help. And I think it's just important to note okay, so how often is this occurring? How distressed is your child? And then you're saying, okay, well, I've tried, you know, doing different strategies with him or maybe reading some books or we've tried. changing our family schedule and those things don't seem to be working, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then I think that's a good point to say, okay, well, maybe we should reach out for some help. Um, Maybe get an evaluation or just see, you know, well, is therapy necessary at this point? And they could help guide you to make that decision as well.
3: Gotcha. Michaela. I was just thinking as I was listening to Crystal, um, I think a lot of listeners will, just like I did, kind of personally appreciate the fact that you you shared this story. It's not the most pleasant stuff in the world to talk about and your child being upset. Um, And so I just want to say that I appreciate you being willing to share this.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I think there is such power and in knowing that you're not alone. Definitely. That someone else is dealing with this because you see so many kids that just go and do this, like no problem, that do their work, no problem, or, you know, are not worried. They just forget about it. And You don't see what happens, you know, you wouldn't know that my six-year-old is anxious until you lay down with him at seven o'clock when he's going to bed. And all of a sudden, all these fears come out that he's not been thinking about all day
3: parenting, I'm realizing it's like most of the time it's so private, right? You have no idea.
2: Yep. It goes back to that. We don't live in a village anymore, you know, especially with the pandemic. yeah. This It makes this type of stuff where you hear about other people's stories so much more important.
3: Thank you, Michaela, for sharing the story of her family with us. It's not the easiest thing in the world to talk about, and we really appreciate it. And to Dr. Crystal Lewis for all of her useful advice. Do you have a parenting question or some other question? Send us a note at howtoitslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646 495 4001. Finally, if you want zero ads on How To or any Slate podcast, you can sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus members get benefits like bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn, unlimited reading on the Slate website and you'll be supporting the work we do here on How To. It's only one dollar for the first month. To sign up, go to slate.com slash how plus. If you want more tips like this, check out one of our older episodes called How To Stop Being Anxious. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rachel Allen and Rosemary Belson produced the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, our technical director. Charles Duhigg, our host emeritus, is hanging out with his kids. I'm David Epstein. See you next time.